Webmaster Radio helps you to find your inner peace and help you discover the key to success. Webmaster Radio presents Good Karma. Whether you are a newbie or an experienced internet explorer, it's time to find the answers that you seek. Ask the questions that others are afraid to ask and earn the rewards of your good karma. And now Webmaster Radio presents Good Karma. Here is your host, Good ROI, Greg Nyland. Hey everybody, this is Greg Nyland here. Welcome back for another episode of Good Karma, where we go and we help out all the newbies and the veterans that are looking to break into new areas of internet marketing. Today's show, we're going to be focusing on the legal issues facing all the uh, internet people. Uh, we're going to be talking about some uh, big letters, WIPO, 2257, DMCAs, all the fun stuff. And we have a guest speaker, Mark Ishman. Um, but before we get to him, I just also want to uh, give everyone a little program reminder. Next week, we have YPN, Yahoo Publisher Network, is going to be visiting us and telling us all how to make more money using their great program. So come back next week and listen to that. But this week, we're going to be going to Internet Law, and for that, we have Mark Ishman. Mark, how you doing? Great. Yourself? Excellent. I got my passport in my hand, my luggage packed. Right after this, I got to fly over to London. Wow, exciting. Yeah. Nothing like a little uh, cross-world uh, travel for the holiday season, you know? Nothing like that. Packing everything in. <laughs> You know, trying to uh, stay one step ahead of the law. So uh, you got any advice for me? Where do you want to begin? There's lots of legal issues for uh, those startups. Um, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Ooh. DMCA, how does that sound? Yeah. Let's start off with the DMCA because I think that's probably the most commonly and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the most commonly uh, impact um, one issue out there for people. Absolutely. Um, your website is copyrightable. That means you could file a copyright with the United States Copyright Office. Um, the fees are fairly reasonable, $30, and typically about less than an hour of an attorney's time to, to fill out your registration. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Well, it's be- Two big reasons. One is statutory damages. Now, these range from $750 up to $150,000 per copy, plus attorney fees and court costs. Well, guess what? If you have your website as one work as a copyrighted work and you register with the United States Copyright Office and your competitor sees you're doing well and they cut and paste some of your content onto Mm -hmm. theirs, now you have copyright infringement. Why would they do that? Because... You must have done something to drive traffic to your website, most likely something related to uh, SEO, search engine optimization, where you're being placed as a top search result for your products or goods that are being sold. Right. And as a result of that, um, now you can go after them for copyright infringement. And what's the first step you do? You send a, a DMCA letter to them, and here's the kicker also to their Internet service provider. So that's and a little trick right why there. Why would you do that? Because if the Internet service provider does not cooperate with you, they will be held contributory liable. 
Ooh, and they have money to go after. Exactly. And what they will do, and, and this happens all the time, they will actually sit down. I'll end up more likely than not working with the ISP than the infringer. And in this case, they will pretty much adhere to my demands and make sure certain things are removed. Um, for if their client and the infringer does not cooperate, they'll cut them off. So at the end of the day, not only do you have infringement, but also you have your competitor's site shut down. So you stop the problem real quickly. And why is this so great? Because it's so inexpensive. So if you are a website owner, why wouldn't you spend $30 and an hour of, a, of an attorney time to register your website? Is that all it is, $30 and a one-hour attorney fee? Right. Wow, that is actually really cheap when you think about how much a website costs to build and to protect it from others. You know, for that little amount, you know, everyone should be doing it. Absolutely. That's, a, that's one of some of the first things I do uh, when I conduct a legal website audit is identify your intellectual property. Uh, and obviously your original content that you've created uh, and owned is copyrightable. Yeah, I mean... And, when I outsource, you know, my articles, because lots of times I outsource article uh, writing, I send it to other people, I'm paying anywhere from 5 to $20 an article. So a $30 fee, that's, you know, just a few articles, and it covers the entire website. Correct. Now, th everything's a case-by-case -case situation, and I'm generally talking uh, most situations you can copyright the entire site. What comes tricky to play is whether... You know, whether if you're truly a reseller and you, and you actually have a right to use other trademarks to resell products, well, yeah, technically don't own everything then. Um, also, if whatever your arrangement is with your website developer, mm -hmm. obviously uh, when you're developing a website, I think it's a great time to, to bring counsel in because you want to make sure that you're retaining ownership of the content created and the site created so that you can then go and enforce your rights. Because one of the biggest things you're going to do when developing a website is thinking about SEO placement. And search engine optimization is so important because that drives traffic to your site. Right. If you can get traffic to your site, uh, you know, then the, the question then is how, you know, how much of that traffic can you convert into sales? Exactly, and you can't make money off second, of that. Yeah, you can't get to that second equation until you get traffic. Now, what about people that are a bit lazy and a bit cheap, and they don't want to hire a lawyer, and they don't want to fill out the forms for the copyright, but they still just use the symbol on their website? Does that give them any protection? Uh, you have common law rights, and if you would call up an attorney, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and you had a great claim that you, know, you have a common law rights, but you didn't register it, and someone has copied it, and, and we're just focusing on, on just the cop, common law copyright side of things. And, and you go to your attorney, can you take this on a contingency fee case? Your attorney will laugh. <laughs> <laughs> they would not take it on a contingency fee, fee case. If you, have, if you spent the $30 and an hour of, you, of an attorney's time to complete it, you would have uh, the right to statutory damages. What's included in statutory damages are attorney fees. So now if you go to an attorney and because you're a startup and, and you may not have the deep pockets that a more established company would have, well, guess what? Some attorney you'll probably find will take your case on a contingency fee basis if mm -hmm. your facts are right because of the uh, registered copyrighted work. It's really uh, one of those no-brainer situations why you would not do it. 
And for the really cheap people out there, because, you know, this is a bit aimed more at the newbie crowd here, um, can they, do they need to hire a full-priced attorney, or is this something that a paralegal could help them with? You need to give me a call. Head over to IshmanLaw.com. Okay. I'll be more than happy to work with you. Uh, Depending on your situations, we're able to be creative uh, with with you. The biggest thing is to get that registration. Uh, You'll find someone who will, will... work within your price range. I do that all the time for our clients because the biggest thing is protect you because if you're not protected, then what happens when someone infringes your work? You're really left out there naked. There's not much an attorney can do without asking for a lot of cash from you. Yeah. So you need to do some uh, preemptive uh, moves to protect yourself, and one of those is to register your copyrighted work on your site. And once you do that, which is very inexpensive, now now you can be proactive rather rather than reactive. And when you're reactive, it's much more expensive than being proactive. Yeah. Uh, a stitch in time saves nine, right? That's right. <laughs> now, on the other side, if you're a defendant and you receive a DMCA notice, um, there was an interesting report that just came out. Because Something, there are a lot of black hat SEOs that are excellent at aggregating content. In other words, scraping content off of other people's sites. So in the search engine world, there's a lot of people that will be seeing DMCAs coming their ways. Absolutely. You will see. That's a, that's a whole separate issue, and you kind of get into different tiers when you talk about uh, search engine optimization and uh, the pay-per-clicks and all that. But I wanted to bring up a quick note for mm-hmm. defendants who do receive a notice, a DMCA notice. There is a recent report that came out that uh, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was over 50% of the DMC notices that were pulled uh, were unfounded by the law, meaning um, what they were claiming they had a right to, to demand, uh, there is no basis in law for that. So it is important if you do receive one to, to, to give an attorney a call to see what they're claiming is, in fact, a legal right that they have a right to demand of you to remove certain content and do some things. Oh, an right. example of that would be uh, perhaps uh, a peer-to-peer blogger uh, site. And, uh, I mean, if you file a DMCA report that is intentionally misleading, you know, in order to try to get your competition kicked out of Google, let's say, can't, aren't you also now liable for filing well, a misleading report? Uh, it, then that's a case-by-case situation. It depends right. whether or not you disclose that, uh, that false DMCA notice to third parties. You know, it, there's one thing if you and I have a conversation and I call you names, but no one else hears it. It's between you and me, a private conversation. However, when I bring in an audience, now we have defamatory language. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, right now, let's go in, and we're going to be taking a commercial break. Um, And when we come back, um, anyone that has questions about DMCA or anything else we've covered or will cover, feel free to shoot me a PM into the chat room, and I'll bring it up towards the end. Uh, So when we're going to go into commercial right now, and we'll come back and talk about more legal issues. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Karma, the show that's out there to help all the newbies in Internet marketing and to also teach the old dogs some new tricks for the Internet marketing. Today we're talking about Internet law with Mark Ishman. His website is ishmanlaw.com. He's got a lot of great information over there, so I strongly recommend everyone goes there and check it out. Hey, Mark, how we doing? Great. Hey, I want to stand corrected here. I said uh, something like 50% of the DMCA takedown notices were improper. I stand corrected. It's 30%. Okay. Still way higher than I ever thought it was. DMCAs were reviewed, and 30% of those uh, were improper. Okay. And it's improper for a variety of reasons, I assume, or was there one big reason? Um, For for many things. For example, they failed to state what was the infringing conduct, or it was relating to peer-to-peer networks, which wasn't covered under the statute, or they were just targeting their competitors to remove uh, content and links from Google. So uh, truly, they weren't under the spirit and under the, the, the black letter law of the statute. Right. But to defend yourself from that DMCA, it still takes money because you need to get a lawyer and you need to file counter uh, papers, right? Um, I think most people up on the DMCA route uh, can, really can resolve the dispute outside of court. Yeah. Unless there is an apparent discrepancy as to ownership, mm-hmm. um, then you may be heading yourself into court and... and and having a, a big, big uh, matter. But this, the DMCA notice is not something that is a complaint that's filed with the court. It's just uh, more like a cease and desist letter. Right. Uh, but you bring in the ISP, which can be damaging because it could shut you down. Uh, hey, Mark, and, what's the standard amount of copied content that could bring a copyright issue about? You know, how much is fair use and how much is over the line? Um. I mean, I, I could really see uh, four or five words enough if they're unique and original to um, that site. So if you're talking about, for example, a slogan or something that's really unique well, that, to that, that company? Well, that gets into a trademark side of things, too. You know, you don't have to copy the whole entire website. You don't have to copy the whole entire page. Copying a paragraph will certainly qualify. Mm-hmm. And if I were to link back to the page... A wrap will be a case-by-case situation. As with all legal issues, right? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> um, and, you know, we know it is case-by-case, case, but just talking about generalities here, if I were to link back to the page noting that's where the content came from, is that potentially going to help me, or is it potentially going to hurt me because I'm highlighting it even more? Oh, it's definitely going to help you. Okay. You're letting the reader know um, that you are not the creator of this content, uh, and you're provo- you know it's a footnote, an endnote, you're, and proper citation, uh, as in any sort of scholarly article, uh, you provide footnotes to the source, and as a reporter, you know sources are important uh, in referencing them, and when you have your website, if you are um, taking something that's not yours, that's not your original work, it is the proper uh, conduct is to cite it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And providing the link, and and more likely than not, if if that owner has a problem with it, you, 
they probably don't have a foot to stand on. But again, everything's case by case, and if they did have something, they more likely not more likely than not will call you and say, "Hey, here's my problem. Can you just remove that or add this to it?" Um, that will make me happy, and as long as it's reasonable, you probably will do that. Right. Now, let's take a moment and talk about WIPO, because I see this going around a lot of times in the forums. People will spell it out, W-I-P-O, and they have no clue what it is, and they have no clue why it's very rare that they'll ever be dealing with WIPO. So can you tell us a little bit about WIPO? Uh, it's an administrative panel um, that parties can go to um, to hear uh, ownership issues of a domain name. Okay. And rights to use a domain name. Typically, you have this associated with a trademark issue. We haven't thrown out that word yet, and trademarks are different than copyright. Copyrights are original content. Trademarks, however, uh, are, identifies the source of the goods. So typically, that is the company name, the product name, um, or a slogan that identifies to consumers the source of that good or services, and over time, it pr- it establishes substantial goodwill and distinctiveness uh, to their users. And you have a problem, typically, in a, in a domain name dispute is someone has a, a trademark and they're trying to stop a competitor mm-hmm. uh, or a cyber smear um, from using that domain name. Right, because there is a lot of, as you call it, cyber smear going around, a lot of defamation, people grabbing up domains that are similar or using the name of a copy, uh, trademarked company. And cyber squatting is, is, the, is the proper name for that. Well, oh, yeah, well, that's when they're trying to make a buck off of it. You bet. Yeah, but here, you know, there's also a growing people that instead of making money off of it, they just hate these companies, and they're going out and they're buying domains like, um, you know, Ford Motor Company, Stinks.com, things like that. Um, so at what level can they have free, you know, freedom of speech and put it, say what they feel, and at what point is it defamation? Wow. Well, my, my clients are corporate America, so I don't want to give too much uh, info out there as to what they can do and can uh, but what they right, and everything do. is a case by case scenario. It is a case by case scenario. Um, I mean, I, I have dealt with it several times on behalf of of company clients and uh, addressing um, a disgruntled employee or customer who creates a, a, a stinks dot com type of of a website. Mm-hmm. Um, if it goes into their relationship only and it doesn't get into uh, outside of their experiences, and provided what they allege is <laughs> is in fact true, then it's really going to be difficult for the company to do anything to it. However, um, if there is truth, if what they're alleging is untruthful, well, then there are a lot of things that can be done, um, and you get, and it's really a, a, a gray line and and. And it's a, definitely a case-by-case situation because there's opinions all over going various ways, and just the tiniest little factor uh, will sway uh, the end result from being infringement or non-infringement. Right. And the end result, you could be talking about millions of dollars in damages, right? Yes, but potentially, Generally, it doesn't yes. get that I mean, far. It, uh, I mean, 
how many individuals actually have that sort of cash pot. But, yeah, you could basically find yourself having a judgment that could financially ruin you. Yeah. And that's not really fun for all you webmasters out there to lose your car, lose your house, just because you made a not-so-smart move and didn't consult a lawyer first. No, it's, and I'll, I'll, I'll stress this, it's so much cheaper to be proactive than reactive. Because when you're reactive, that means you're reacting to something that's happened to you uh, and asserting your rights or defending your rights, and it's being more expensive in that situation. If you're proactive, mm-hmm. so before you act, you see if this is going to cause trouble, um, or protecting your intellectual property, so sometime in the future when someone does uh, take away your intellectual property, you can quickly stop it. Although, and how you'll quickly stop that is the opportunity uh, to get a big dollar award from a court. And now you provide a great service, the legal uh, website audits, right? That's correct. Now, what exactly does that entail? Um, it, it does address industry by industry, um, but generally what we're dealing with is a privacy policy that will be drafted for you. That has to, you have to have one nowadays. You are collecting content, um, whether it is, if you want more information, please contact us. You, someone, you have that sort of uh, function typically as a website. Probably 90% of all websites have some sort of function where they're right, some form to fill out. Yeah, or if you're if you're selling goods, well, then you obviously you have home addresses and names and credit card information, and so you really need to have a privacy policy. Otherwise, the Federal Trade Commission, state's attorney generals, uh, and private causes of action could be coming on against you. And it's so important nowadays because with all the security breaches that are going on, um, to make sure that uh, those types of issues are addressed. Um, you'll need a privacy policy. I mean, you need a privacy officer in your company um, if you are selling, uh, collecting information from a California entity or person. Not many companies know that. Uh, in addition to a privacy policy, uh, general terms of use of your website, it's as is. If you don't like it, don't come back. So even That's if your only recourse. You know, those are the sorts of things you want to do, throw in there. Even if I live in North Carolina and my website is hosted by a Michigan company. If I have a user from California come to my website, I need a privacy officer? Why wouldn't you do it? Pardon? Why wouldn't you do it? Right now, there's federal legislation in place talking about requirements of of entities that collect data and what they need to do. Uh, There's various state laws. In addition to California, there are other laws. But the chances are, if you, you really could be dealing with a California person. So why wouldn't you draft up a quick resolution appointing someone in your company as a privacy officer to be in charge of reporting security breaches or privacy-related issues to the, pro- to the appropriate uh, government entity? And how long does that take to set up? An hour? Uh, well, that's just one uh, of the big aisle. We've, we're just on number two. <laughs> that, so you have the privacy, you have the terms of use, um, then you're going to have your checkout procedures. Well, guess what? You're in the credit card, uh, card not present industry. You better know what you're getting yourself into. And so what I do is I, I direct uh, my clients to head over to uh, preventchargebacks.com, and it's a learning course where 
companies or individuals can learn how to process credit card transactions and screen the transactions for fraud uh, so that they won't become a victim of chargebacks. Right. And also with that, you need to worry about the cyber shoplifter. Those are people who know these rules. They buy the product. After they get the product, they say, ah, oh, it was damaged in delivery, when in fact it wasn't, and they charge back the transaction. Oh, well, how do you deal with those guys? You and that's a huge growing fraud, industry, isn't but, it? But you need a legal and enforceable online contract. Right. And so that's how you deal with those situations. Then you want the next phase is you want to make sure the world knows what are your legal rights. So there you're going to put your copyright notices, your trademark notices, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and, and protect your intellectual property. And depending on what industry you're in, you could have um, the 2257 sort of regs. Right, and that's also another thing that, like WIPO, a lot of people hear and a lot of people use, but not everyone understands what 2257 is. What is the 2257 regulation? Uh, it is a compliance notice with federal legislation, which more or less is dealing with um, child pornography, generally speaking. Right, you and need to prove that anyone that's naked... This is just a general state, you know, you can read the real one online, of course, but if anyone's naked on your site, whether it's a personal ad or explicit content, all that fun stuff, you need to be able to prove they're over 18 to protect from child pornography. And that's the whole spirit uh, of, and purpose of that law. And so you need a more or less verbatim state the, the statute. That's why it's there and been enacted, and make sure you're in compliance with that. Mm -hmm. And, and that if you, you allow people to post pictures onto your website for whatever reason, and they post explicit pictures and you don't take them down, you could be in breach of the 2257 regulations, right? Yes. I mean, that, and that's the risk you pose by being in this industry. Yeah. Uh, and you need a custodian of the records. You know, you, the risk of the industry, you have something like this where um, do you always, do you, will you always know that whether or not that the time of that picture, that person was 18 or older? Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with uh, people in the email marketing. In 2257, um, you're talking jail time also, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's not just bankrupt for life. That's bankrupt for life and in prison. <laughs> <laughs> and ruined reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah, but um, reputation, I'm putting number three after jail time, you know, and being bankrupt for life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is very serious, so you really need to make sure that you have uh, uh, controls in place to make sure that what you have is really what you have. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I want to lead into too, also and just quickly address is that email marketers, you get all these, you subscribe and get all these email addresses from some third party for $1,000, $10,000, $50,000. Do you really know whether or not every email address has provided you consent to send them unsolicited email? Well, you need to make sure you have some reps and warranties from the person that you're getting those email, that company that you're getting the email, uh, emails from. Email fact, address that from, they yeah. can that they can uh, have the cash um, to indemnify you if someone does come after you. Same thing with these pictures. Uh, I mean, I would clearly think, and this is where you definitely would want to um, bring an attorney when you're dealing with an industry that has these sorts of regulations uh, where you're really 
at some level, trusting your supplier. Yeah. That what they're saying is, in fact, true. And when you're doing that, you need to make sure you have indemnification provisions in there and that that supplier can, in fact, indemnify you, meaning they have the cash um, to defend in a lawsuit. Otherwise, it may be too risky to do business with that entity. <laughs> well, before we go on and scare everyone to death here, because <laughs> these are really serious issues, we're going to be going into a little commercial break right here, so everyone stay tuned. And when we come back, we're going to open up for questions in the chat room. So everyone in the chat room, feel free to send me over a private message. I already have a few questions. So, Mark, hope you're ready to do some fast talking here and get out a lot of answers in a little bit of time. All Stay right, tuned, everyone. Yeah. We're back and jammed to some nice music there. Uh, we're here with Mark Ishman, the Internet lawyer from North Carolina, 13 years experience. Not the most lucky number, but uh, still extremely experienced in pretty much almost all matters internet and scaring us up a bit about possible jail time and going bankrupt for life. So uh, I thank you in advance for my nightmares tonight. No, it's really not that bad. But, hey, this is how you get listeners to listen, right? You scare them a little bit, then you tell them that it's, it's very easy to, to comply with these things. And, well, and it's easier to comply now than to go to jail later. Yes. <laughs> so if anyone ever has doubts, it's always better pay you know an attorney a few hours, get a legal site audit. You know, you provide that, and if anyone has questions about trying to get that from some you know, from someplace, they can contact you and you can either help them or point them in the right direction, correct? Absolutely. And if you're interested in the audits, we do those for a flat fee, so you don't have to worry about how long it takes or what the changes are. We aim to please, and, and we'll work with you until you're happy and, and you'll get everything that you need um, and to minimize your risk. Excellent. Um, now we have a few questions uh, lined up for you. Um, first question is, we do have a bunch of listeners coming in from Europe and Canada and all over. So, hello, the law- hello. <laughs> um, the laws that we are talking about are specifically American, but there are similar regulations internationally. Is that correct? There are, uh, and that's part of the audit, too. I, we have a general feel of what, what the laws are in the other countries, um, and... Part, part of the risk assessments when you're doing businesses, do you want to exclude uh, people from outside the U.S.? Or it could be a specific state. You know, you could say that perhaps Idaho has some, um, some statute that is too risky for you to deal with, so you'll exclude all Idaho members, you know, all Idaho residents from being a member mm-hmm. of your company, uh, of your site, if you're a membership-based um, site. Or it could be uh, citizens of a certain country. Right. So if you are doing business and making money in a country, even if you're in a different country, you better get up on lo- the laws from both countries. Well, yes. You're, you're not just uh, local. You're international when you have a website. Um, so those are some of the things you want to address in the audit is you just want to let the world know we're only advertising to United States citizens or mm-hmm. European citizens. And here's a great question um, just posted in the chat room. What is the most common way that Internet laws are usually enforced, locally, federally, or internationally? Not so much the liability, but how is it enforced? 
who's um, keeping a closer that, eye on the websites? That, that is a great great question. Um, when you deal with the Internet, you're dealing with something interstate. It, that's that's natural. Uh, it's it's crossing state lines, crossing national lines. So as we address the United States, more more often these are federal related statutes that are being enforced. Now, don't get me wrong. There there are many state internet related laws that are out there, and and they're being prosecuted by state attorney generals as, and private sector when applicable. But for the most part, because we're dealing with interstate commerce, most of these laws are federal in nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got to keep an eye out more for the federales and not so much the local guys. Well, the, the, no, I, I would disagree with that. You have, to, you have to watch out for both ends. You need eyes behind your head. You need to make sure that you're complying with not only the federal but the state. Okay. And, and that's really what the audit does is figuring out how, how you run your business, mm-hmm. what your practices are, and that may trigger um, a law out in Washington that could really be important to you, and, and, and it could trigger something that, that's a federal-related law. And, and you really can trigger that state law if you do business in that state. Now, the state attorney general for the state of New York has been very active in bringing um, webmasters website owners that are outside of the United States, out in the Caribbean, into the state of New York for trial mm-hmm. because they've reached out to New York citizens. And But what if you put on your state a little disclaimer that says this site will be enforced by the site owner's jurisdiction? Does that protect you from any of the uh, you know, legal issues from, let's say I'm in New York and I put that disclaimer, am I protected from California law? Oh, absolutely! As soon as you, as soon as your state signs a treaty um, with with uh, with your website owner, that will happen. No, that will never ever happen. Um, those sorts of disclaimers are irrelevant. If you purposely make yourself in reach and make substantial contacts into a forum, into a state, into the United States or, or specific states, they can uh, bring you into their jurisdiction and bring a lawsuit against you. Uh, you can put as much as you want out there, but um, that's not going to be applicable. Only way where we're something you state out there can really be to your benefit if you say we're excluding United States citizens from using our website, and when they submit information, you actually reject them. You know, so you would have typical, to like, block them at the gambling. IP level or something. Excuse me? You'd have to block their access from even looking at your website. Uh, not so much looking, but let's say it's online gambling from placing a bet. Mm-hmm. So they'd never be able to place a bet. Well, then if you had certain disclaimers in there saying that, you, you know, you're, you're not... Uh, but talking about gambling laws. laws... Well, then that you actually put a checks and balance in place where, in fact, United States citizens can't gamble on your Caribbean website. Right. But as an affiliate for a great gambling site like PartyPoker.net, see, there's a little trick there. The .net you can promote in America, or at least um, I checked it out locally here, because they don't do gambling there. It's simply a free playing site. You know, you play with uh, play money there. 
Um, and then from there, they can do different things. So if you want to be an affiliate for Party Poker, there's uh, ways that you can uh, work around that. But again, go in with your eyes open. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah you, you can easily make a wrong turn. And so it's so much better to be proactive rather than reactive. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, you can hear me say that all the time. I say that all the time to my clients. Uh, and when something happens and they've been proactive, they thank me for getting on their case because it's so easy uh, in handling the situation. Mm-hmm. And can you clarify the differences between copyright, patent, and trademark? Sure. Um, copyrights are original content, articles, music, um, your website, things like that. Also, some things that are copyrightable are also uh, patentable. Okay. Um, uh, what copyright does not protect is reverse engineering. So if you have a software program, you more likely not would file a copyright and a patent, depending on you know, a case-by-case situation. But what that patent will prevent is reverse engineering when dealing with technology. And this is how I'm, I'm focusing this conversation toward this audience, tech, technology audience. Um, now, copyrights are very inexpensive, so I always try to get my clients to get them. Uh, you'll be getting a copyright for under $200. Uh, for a patent, it could be eight to $20,000. They're very expensive, and they take much longer. Copyrights usually take three to six months to, to have your registration, while a patent could take two to four and a half, five years. Um, and the other side is our trademarks. Trademarks are what identifies your goods and services to your consumers. Mm-hmm. Associated goodwill, and why we have trademark laws for is to prevent consumer confusion, so that no one could hop on the coattails of a famous mark. So it, this is going to be your company name, your product name, your slogans, things like that to identify uh, your goodwill associated with your goods and services. I hope that clarifies those three big areas. And then finally, you have trade secrets, which is the fourth prong of intellectual property. And a great example of a trade secret is Coca-Cola. There's only two people in the whole world that knows the exact ingredients to Coca-Cola and and how much of the ingredients you mix and when you mix it. And they've used trade secret law to protect uh, their secret formula for all these years. Wow. That's uh, pretty smart. <laughs> because, well, if you file the patent, what happens is now it becomes publicly available. Yeah. So you would never, if you had a secret ingredient, you'd never file a patent because part of your patent, you, you get a, a set term monopoly um, to sell your product and only you. Mm-hmm. You sell your, techni- your patented technology. And once that term expires, then everyone gets it. A prime example is, it, is medicine. You have all of a sudden after the term of, of the patent runs out, you get generic medicine. And they do that to promote science. So they want to reward science uh, for coming up with new technologies, but they give that reward for a set term. Then after that, they reward the public so anyone can sell that good utilizing that patent. Mm -hmm. And another question, if a company continues to say, our ads are static HTML links that can help your natural or organic search engine rankings, and Google says it clearly does not, are they falsely advertising, and can you see them? All right. Repeat that question one more time. Okay. I go to a website, uh, widgets.com, and they say, hey, our ads are static HTML links. 
and we'll link to your site for 100 bucks. okay? And it's going to help you in Google. Google, I talk with them, and they tell me that that is completely untrue, that getting a link from widgets.com will not help me. Is widgets.com falsely advertising, and can I sue them? Well, that's going to be a case-by-case situation. And it, to me, it sounds like they, they falsely advertise. Generally, when, en- when anyone falsely advertises, you can go after fraud and unfair and deceptive business practices mm-hmm. uh, as a general thing. And, and it comes down to whether or not the advertisement is true or not. And so uh, you need to really watch out with that, um, with the false advertisement. And what I forgot to mention um, previously, too, is what if you want run a sweepstakes or an advertisement? Well, you're not just here local. You're all over the world, so you want to make sure whatever you're doing is compliant with all the rules. Otherwise, you want to exclude uh, certain people from participating in your sweepstakes. Yeah, and that's another thing. When people are you know, doing sweepstakes and giveaways like my show here, um, you definitely need to be careful that you're doing everything accordingly to the right regulations. Correct. Yep. So, hey, any advice for uh, Webmaster Radio to avoid uh, lawsuits? (laughs) (laughs) Proactive rather than reactive. Okay. So put it on mute before I start talking about people. What? I should put my phone on mute before I start talking about people. Exactly. Okay. That's proactive. Before before you ramp and rave, hit hit the mute button, get it out of your system, um, like what you're doing right now with me, and then... Undo the mute and, and gather yourself. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and otherwise, you got to apologize, and that would be reactive. And it always takes a lot more to apologize and to buy the person gifts and to do all that stuff. So, as you say, it's always cost effective. Be proactive, not reactive. All right. We, all right. We're, we're picking it up. All right, that's great. <laughs> and um, we're going to be uh, wrapping it up here. Um, just want to thank you again, Mark, for coming on to the show. And everyone, please go visit uh, Mark's website, IshmanLaw.com. I posted it in the chat room, and it's going to be uh, we're going to link to you. Uh, have a little link at the archive. So everyone listening to this podcast, um, hope you're having great uh, airport food somewhere while you're listening to this on your MP3 player. And um, go into the archive, and you'll see the link to Mark's um, website. Mark, thanks for coming on. Um, hey, any final words me. or advice? Uh, if you guys have any questions, please uh, visit my website, ishmanlaw.com. Contact me for any follow-up because uh, every uh, situation is case-by-case. Case, uh, and I'd be delighted to uh, help you out in any way that I can. Excellent. Thanks so much, Mark. We're going to go into a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be giving away free copies of SimPro, the instant messaging encryption software and also talking with RoboForm, and we're going to be giving away a few copies of RoboForm, another great tool to have in your arsenal. So stay tuned and keep on listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Good Karma. We just wrapped up a great conversation with Mark Ishman, Internet lawyer, giving us a good rundown of how it's better to be proactive than reactive. His website, uh, ishmanlaw.com, A lot of great information over there. He can help you do a legal review of your website. So feel free to uh, give him a call, and uh, he'll help you out. 
And now we're going to be talking with Bill Carey. Um, Bill is from RoboForm, and he's been nice enough to bring along a few free copies for us to give away to people asking great questions. Hey, Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? Excellent. Um, for people that don't know what RoboForm is, can you please enlighten them so that way they know what a great tool this is and how it can really help them? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, RoboForm is a password manager and web form filler uh, for consumers. So basically what it does is instead of you going to each individual website and needing to remember your username and password, uh, RoboForm will remember it for you, and then in one click, uh, RoboForm will navigate to the website, it'll input your username and password, and it'll click the Submit button for you. So it does a lot of good things. Uh, you know, First and foremost, you'll never forget your passwords again, so you won't waste time going back to websites and you know, asking for a password and having to wait to get into the website you're trying to access. The other thing it does is it provides much better security than probably what most people are doing right now. Most people probably write their passwords on a sticky note or in a Word or an Excel or something like that, and uh, that's easily accessible, whereas, you know, let RoboForm remember your passwords and log into websites, and we store it in encrypted files that cannot be hacked using military-grade style encryption. So mm -hmm. really good security and uh, efficiency tool. And if someone were looking to do some uh, link generation, they could uh, use RoboForm to go visit their uh, favorite blogs and to submit relevant content and really help them out? It can. Uh, you know, password management is one part of what it does. Form filling is another. So whenever you're doing repetitive tasks, um, you can essentially easily have RoboForm do those tasks for you. And essentially, you can fill any form with one click. So... Uh, you would fill out the form one time, you'd click the Save button, uh, it would remember all that information, and then the next time you go to a form, it would uh, all you'd need to do is click, you would name it when you saved it, and all you'd have to do is click it, and it would fill the form in automatically. So it's, uh, it's a really efficient tool that way as well. And we have a question about RoboForm coming in in our chat room. Does it have to be live on your computer, or is it mobile? Uh, we have two versions of it. We have a version of it that works on a desktop or laptop, and that's called RoboForm. And we also make a portable version of it that runs directly off of a USB key. That is called Pass2Go. The neat thing about the version that runs off of the USB key is that it runs literally directly from the USB key. So you can sync up your passwords onto your USB key, take it to any computer anywhere in the world, even an Internet cafe, plug it into the computer, into the USB port, and have access to all your passwords and personal information. As soon as you pull out your USB key, there's no traces of RoboForm left behind on that computer because it was running directly off of that key. So, uh, so we do have two versions of it. Oh, very nice, because you don't really want to be leaving uh, your trails around on computers that you're hopping on from one to one. No, no, you definitely don't. And, uh, you know, not that most people use your personal information, a ton of it at an Internet cafe, but, you know, the other application for the USB key is it'll keep your password separate from your laptop or desktop. So if you're a traveling businessman, uh, you know, you, your first reaction might need, be, well, I don't, you know, need that because I'm always carrying my computer with me. I don't, I, I can just keep it. But, you know, some people lose those computers. It's not uncommon to lose your uh, notebook. So by keeping your password separate on a USB key, it provides the ultimate security in that if you lose it, all your personal information isn't going to be on, on your computer. 
Mm-hmm. And everyone listening to this live in the chat room, um, you only have about a few more minutes before we have to wrap this up, so feel free to get your questions in now. Um, and another question we have is, how many forms and passwords can you save with RoboForm? Um, you can save an, you know, an infinite number of forms and pass cards. Um, the software has been around since 2001, and one of the things, the reason why, if you look at us in the password management space, we're you know, 100 times bigger than our nearest competitor, and the reason why is because we have you know, six years' worth of intelligence in our software in that our software recognizes 98% of the forms that are out there. It knows how to fill them, where to fill them, and that includes over 30 different languages. So, so even simple things like phone numbers are completely different, you know, in uh, Europe as they are than they are from here, and our software knows how to fill forms, you know, all over the world, essentially. So, um, and but, you know, as far as saving it, it's a matter of, you know, how much space essentially you have in your computer. I mean, each pass card or each form that you need to fill takes up such a little amount of space that I, I would doubt that would be the problem. So <laughs> right. it's, an, it's an infinite amount. Excellent. So uh, infinite amount to uh, go share some free content with your favorite blogs out there and also secure all of your uh, username and password information. Um, and before we give away the uh, free RoboForms, are there any... Um, useful features of it that people don't use. There's a lot of other stuff on there. Um, it will automatically, in that same realm of trying to uh, get people to use more secure passwords or a better way of doing it, it'll generate uh, random passwords for you. So instead of using, you know, like your name or your kid's name or your favorite team, mm-hmm. uh, RoboForm will generate those hard to. Um, hard-to-crack passwords, you know, with a combination of capitals and lowercase and numbers. So it'll do that. It's also the uh, toolbar version uh, comes with a search feature, so you can totally customize your search. So you can search Yahoo, Google, all of them, weather, um, stocks, all kinds of stuff right from your search toolbar. Um, uh, And these passwords aren't the ones that RoboForm creates for you. They're not easy to uh, recreate because they're just so random and different, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because most people use simple-to-remember passwords. You know, I might use the password football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that's my favorite sport. But, you know, any, any even basic password hacking program is going to be able to uh, crack that, you know, just from, you know, any, if you're just using common words out of a dictionary, any password Hacking software can do that, um, and very, very easily. Um, you know, some of the other things that RoboForm does on the security side is, you know, it helps fight phishing because if you were to, say you banked at Bank, uh, Bank of America and you were to get a phishing, uh, you know, email and you clicked on it and it came from, you didn't happen to notice that it came from Bank of America instead of Bank on America and it was a phishing site, well, RoboForm wouldn't let you uh, log into that site because it does exact IP matching. And st- you know, so something that you wouldn't catch, RoboForm would catch. And since you're not physically entering passwords into a website every time you log in, it'll help defeat keyloggers too because you're just clicking on a link. So it's essentially a silent login. So keyloggers aren't going to be able to grab your passwords either. Which is a growing concern that's out there. It definitely is. Yeah. And another question we have here, this is going to be the final question. Um, can you sync up your passwords with a PDA? Yep, it works for um, Palm and uh, 
Windows smartphone, so yes, you can, and uh, and it's and it's viewable on the PDA, and it's a, another good way of keeping your password separate from your computer. Excellent, and I just want to say I use Roboform. I love it. I've bought a lot of copies for it for people that do work for me because even though they're working for me, you know, I buy it for them because they can just work so much faster for me and get right. so much more done with Roboform running for them. It's one of those things that once you start using it, you really get addicted to it, and you wonder why everyone isn't using it. It's, it, it's really that good of a software. Yeah. I, hey, let me ask one question. Sure. Anyone trying to buy you up yet? No, you know, there's a lot of people that are actually, we're not pro, we're, we're a profitable company. We've been profitable, you know, ever since the inception. And we have a lot of people, um, uh, people, I mean, investment uh, companies, VCs, offering mm-hmm. to, um, you know, make investments and stuff like that. And we've been, since we've been profitable, we really haven't, uh, you know, done it yet. But people are very interested in it. It's, a, it's password management and identity theft, and that whole space is really. Uh, and you have a such a great reputation. Space. It could really help a lot of. Uh people out there trying to make webmasters happy. Right, exactly. And we're the clear leader in the space, so if somebody were to, um, you know, if someone is looking at the space, they're definitely look, calling us. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but so far we've remained private, and, uh, you know, we don't have any intentions right now of, of any acquisitions. Right. And if anyone has any uh, future questions, I apologize. We can't get to them this show, um, but they can go to roboform.com. There's a lot of great information and there's an incredible support feature that you guys have. Um, and we're going to be giving away the uh, three RoboForms right now. Um, congratulations, Adman, in the chat room. Adman, you bookmarked it. You made a ton of questions for us, so you definitely have earned your reward of a free RoboForm. I oh, love that music. And the second winner we have, who is still PMing me questions, please, you can slow down. you totally qualified for it. Legion, congratulations. Second week in a row, you got it. And the third one, we're going to be giving it away, Ogletree. Ogletree, congratulations. You've just won your free RoboForm. So congratulations, and thank you again, Bill, for coming on to the show. Well, thank you, Greg. Hey, everybody. Um, we also have a few uh, programs of Simp Pro because we're rolling in free software to give out today. Simp Pro is a great free uh, – Simp Lite is free. Simp Pro you got to pay for, but we got a few free copies. What it does is it encrypts the messages that you send via IM. If you go to secway.fr, they'll talk about it all over there. Great information. And because we got so many, I'm going to be sending out PMs to the people that won them. So congratulations to all those winners. We're giving out 10 of them. And everyone have a great week. And I'm going to be back from London with some great fresh stories to chat with you about and to talk with YPN, Yahoo Publisher Network, next week. Bye-bye.